0: how to overcome temptation, specifically into your thoughts. And before I do, and, and uh, uh, this is just a little something somebody shared with me, I hope they're not here today, it's been a number of years since i had this email exchange. It touched my heart, and it's very, very relevant. The email comes in to me and it says, I've been married for 10 years, we have three children, my wife is a good woman and mother. By the way, I'm going to go a little bit fast today, so to it's in for the time frame. We're both Seventh-day Adventists. I hold several church offices and preach once a quarter. We have regular family worship. Our marriage is okay, but we are no longer intimate. I do not feel the way I once did. I'm not passionate and do not feel very attracted to my wife anymore. We are both in our early 40s. I own a small business, and keeping it going requires a tremendous commitment of time and energy. I feel the Lord has blessed it, though, as there is always work. Years ago, I ran an ad for a part-time secretary. Elizabeth, this is the name I gave her, applied for the job and was hired. She's from another country and is married. She's been married before, but met her current husband in this country and married him because her father wanted her and her pr- uh, present husband married uh, and her present husband married her because he needed a maid. There's no love at all in her marriage. There's no support, no comfort, no intimacy, no nothing. Her marriage has caused her a lot of stress, which has resulted in health problems, and she has at times been suicidal. Elizabeth has been a tremendous help to me in the business. She's been supportive and is my number one fan. I couldn't run my business without her. I don't get very much support from my wife except Maggie. But Elizabeth encourages me when I'm about to give up. She pushes me to do the, my best and brings out the man in me. We confide in each other. She talks to me about everything because she can't talk to her husband. I tell her things that I do not tell my wife, my feelings, dreams for life's accomplishment, and so forth. Elizabeth encourages me, but my wife encourages me very little. Over the years, I've fallen in love with this woman. We have become dear and best friends. Now watch this reasoning. Elizabeth and I pray almost daily for the business, for each other, and for the family. We pray about everything. She used to be a Catholic, but because of working with me and over our discussion on religion, she went to our meetings and was recently baptized. She loves Jesus and wants to do more for Him. She's a beautiful, caring person. She wants to become part of my ministry and encourages me to do this. I'm there for her, and I support her in her dreams and encourage her to keep going. I give her the things she's missing at home. She says I'm her perfect man, and I feel she is the perfect woman for me. Our relationship is based on a deep caring for each other. It's not infatuated love. It's not about sex. We both love each other dearly. I find myself awake at 2 a.m. most nightly and go downstairs to pray for her health and salvation. Neither one of us wants to sin in this relationship. I've pleaded with God to guide the relationship and to make it the way he wants. In my mind, it's about loving and caring, not sex. We are physically attracted but no question about it to me she's beautiful we have a compatible chemistry that's uncanny we know how each other feels and what we're thinking just holding hands or or hugging sends warmth to my heart that i've never had uh, experienced before i would go to the ends of the earth for her i feel i would give my life for her i'm at the point that i do not want to be without her in my life think about her 24-7 and pray for her 24-7. We've talked about this extensively, and she feels exactly the same. I've never felt this way about my wife. We cry. This is with Elizabeth. We cry with each other, hug, kiss, and, and it feels wonderful. The deep caring and warmth just flows through me. There have been occasions when the passion begins to run high, and we want more. But she stopped me because of not wanting to sin, and I've stopped her for the same reason. Maybe it's too late. I've wept over this, trying to convince Jesus that it's not adultery. The feelings are from my heart, not below the belt. We both realize the difficulty. She doesn't want to break my family up, neither do I want to subject my kids to a broken home. But I think if it weren't for the kids, I would get a divorce. Because of her marriage, it seems she's seeing a counselor, and they've put her on anxiety drugs. She called me once, in the middle of the night, scared and distraught, asking for prayer. We both prayed on the phone. I have chased her down before and prevented a possible suicide, when she was having a panic attack. She needs me, and I need her. We both wish there was a way to be together, to be married. What do I do? Can I be in love with another woman, true, caring love, not sex-driven love, without without it being sin? I don't want to do anything That would cause either of us to lose our salvation. I want to see her and be with her in heaven. Why do I feel this way? Why does my heart hurt so much? I've prayed for the Holy Spirit to take away the pain of this if it's not right. I feel that I do not want to go on without her. She means everything to me. How How can this be wrong if I'm praying for her protection, forgiveness, salvation, and guidance? I'm so confused my answer to you, Dear Eddie, thank you for the sharing the story and for your frankness. I can see that this is a tremendous burden for you. It's taken you time to get, into the, to, to get into this and it's become a deeply ingrained problem and addiction. I'm sure that I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. Matter of fact, you already know what I will say. You have made this more complicated because you've mixed spiritual components into something that's not spiritual. It reminds me of the time that Pastor Charles Spurgeon, a famous English pastor, was asked to offer the blessing when the main course was a roast pig. His prayer was, Lord, if you can bless what you've already cursed, then bless this food. (laughs) God has not abandoned you or you wouldn't have contacted. But time is running out. You run a business, and to do this successfully, you must keep things clear and in their right place. In this case, you've dumped everything in the same file. It's like a computer program that's become corrupted. You cannot sort this one out short of a reinstall, and probably will have to ask Jesus to reformat your heart. You have wandered into a minefield. You cannot walk out. Jesus must airlift you out. You are sinning against Jesus, your wife, Elizabeth, and her husband to say nothing of your children. You're rationalizing and declaring holy that which Jesus has declared as unclean. Your prayers with Elizabeth are going nowhere. He cannot bless what he's cursed. Fortunately the Spirit is pleading with you. You know in your gut that this is wrong, but you're hitting all of the buttons hoping that somehow God will make an exception in your case. The fact that you have not had sexual intimacy must not be used as a justification for the relationship. Psalm 51 applies in your case. Jesus is waiting to heal you and to forgive you. Elizabeth is holding you hostage with threats of suicide. This holds you in the web. She has been unfaithful to her husband, and now she has you emotionally trapped. You cannot be responsible for her. God holds you responsible for your covenant. You have a wife and children and have turned your back on them. Jesus is calling you to terminate this relationship. You must not fear what will happen to Elizabeth. She has used you. It's no wonder that you're no longer intimate with your wife. You are emotionally committed to another woman and have made the enormous mistake of attempting to bring God into an illicit relationship. Though you may deny it, Psalm 51 is about you. I plead with you to return to God. The God that you and Elizabeth have been praying to is a God of your own design, one that approves of what you are doing. Sometimes to save ourselves we must amputate an arm or a leg. In this case, an appendage that has no rightful place in your life has been grafted in and must be removed by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to ask God what to do, He's already revealed it. I urge you to confess your sin and pray that He will give you the grace to do what He's already revealed in His Word. I must disagree with you that this is about love and caring. If it were if if it if it were it would be in the context of your covenant with your family. Please forgive me, but this is about selfishness. You are both using each other without regard to the will of God or your commitment to your spouses. Please, while the Holy Spirit speaks, turn around. It is not easy, but it will be right. We often speak of the last days and the time of trouble. This is the last days, and you are in trouble. Jesus has promised to deliver us from the enemy. Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus is praying for you. Don't let him down. I've talked with you man to man, your brother in Christ. He answers me. Pastor Ophill, thank you for your quick reply last week. I read it immediately. You were right. I knew exactly what you would say. The Holy Spirit hit me like a ton of bricks. As I read your email over a hundred times, Everything you said was correct. How was I so stupid and so blind? As I read, the fog lifted from my mind, and I clearly saw my sin. Psalm 51 was for me. Psalm 66, 18 was, too. I fell at my keyboard and asked Jesus to forgive my sin. I felt so ashamed that just hours before, I had written such horrible things about my wife. As I reread your messages, I felt a relief Come off my shoulders! Glad that my sin had been found out and that I could be forgiven. I left my office work and drove home. My wife was outside gardening, and as I pulled up in the driveway, a voice in my head said, "Behold your wife." I could not stop the tears and went and hugged and kissed her. That night we were intimate. For the next few days, your message was like a me. I prayed aloud Psalm 51 and wept bitterly. My illicit relationship with Elizabeth is over. I approached her and explained that we had committed adultery and had sinned against Jesus and our spouses and family. Our prayers were not being heard, and we were in a dangerous spiritual condition. pastor, I believe, the Holy Spirit convicted her heart, too. We prayed and wept for an hour confessed our sins to God and asked for forgiveness. She wanted to feel that first love for Jesus that she had before. I felt a clean feeling that I have not had since baptism. I didn't realize how strong an emotional deception can become even to the point of throwing God's Word back in his face, but knowing what it says all along. I praise God for His Spirit and how He led you To him, how he led me to him through you. His mercy and love amaze me. He has not left me, but right in the middle of it all. He pulled me out of the mire by the collar from and he saved us from destruction. Pastor Ophiel, thank you for your ministry. This will be my last communication. You do not have to respond back to my email, but you can if you like. I have to go now as my eldest son's piano recital is about to, uh, to uh, be held and I wouldn't miss it for the world. I'll tell you the scripture says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and this guy was using all the spiritual words look out for that lady I want to talk to you about about overcoming uh, temptation, but we're going to use uh, the specific temptation of impure thoughts. And uh, here goes, we don't have much time. I'm going to give you eight points. You want to write these down, each one has a text with it. Overcoming temptation, but particularly impure thoughts. The first point is the purpose in praying for victory over impure thoughts is not to reduce them, you know, to say, Well, I think I have about 25 impure thoughts a day. I hope to get it down by 10%. And then hopefully I'll only have half as many someday. No, it's, it's all or nothing. The first text is Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot ask God to do in our lives what we don't want done ourselves. And many of us are doing that, you know. Now I know what we pray sometimes, Lord, give me the desire to have the desire and all that stuff. That can be, but that's all right, I suppose. But many of us are praying that God will do for us what we really don't want done. In this case, if we're going to have victory over impure thoughts, we have to purpose in our heart. That's the way it's going to be. The purpose is not to reduce it. It's to do away with it. Point number two. We've got to realize that immoral acts begin in the mind. The problem we have with immorality in, 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 in is not below the belt. It's in the head. That's the sex organ. And it's for this reason that we must pray Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And and, uh, what is it? Did I say 39? 139, I meant to say. 23 and 24. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we have you ever heard the, heard people say, did you hear about Pete? No, what happened? He fell into adultery. Nobody falls into adultery. Uh, they've worked it out in their minds long ago. Uh, it's, it begins in the mind. We've committed adultery in the mind long before we commit the act that's why if we're going to have victory over impure thoughts and impure behaviors, it's a problem of the heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Point number three, we must make an agreement with our eyes. You know, the way to the head is through the eyes, they're the windows of our mind. And I didn't know this text was in the scripture but it's in Job 31, verse 1. And Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look up on a maid? In plain language, he said, I had to decide to make a deal with my eyes to quit looking at pretty girls. Because, you know, when we're looking at pretty girls or whatever you girls do, I don't know what you do, but whatever it is, it's pretty bad. It's, uh, uh, it's got to be worked out. It's got to be worked out with our eyes. You know, you know they're putting some pretty suggestive stuff on the billboards these days. Have you noticed that? And sometimes they'll change the billboard and we won't even know they changed it, you know, yesterday because we haven't been by there in a while. And then we notice that it's got, for us, I'm talking about us fellas. Remember what I said last night? Us fellas uh, are, uh, we work with the eyes. That's the way we work. You girls may have other ways you work. And that's why you girls, daughters of God, You have a responsibility uh, toward the impression you give. In other words, you could say, well, I'm not responsible for his dirty old head. Well, you know, I use this illustration. If you have a little grandchild in your house, girls, you have a mother instinct, I think. and, And so you have this grandchild. What you don't do when you're boiling a pot of hot water is leave the handle of the pot hanging over the edge of the stove. Come on, you understand what I said? Did you get that? Anyway, supposing, am I, among friend? Hey, we're talking heart to heart, you know that. Anyway, they can change that billboard and you didn't even know it, fellas. And then suddenly there it is. But now you know it's there. And uh, so the next time you come down the road, you know, you know about a half a mile up, uh, down the road, you, say, you see a billboard down and you say, I know what's on that billboard. So what you don't want to do as you go down the billboard you go oh god take away the desire <laughs> no you got to make a deal with your eye if you know there's a suggestive billboard down there that puts the wrong thoughts in your mind then guess what you don't do you don't look at the billboard uh, in fact in fact you may think i'm a wimp but you know there's parts of town where they have the adult bookstores and i mean it doesn't mean that they've got you know, nude people out on the front of the store, but they've got signs out there that remind you, and you know, and we know what goes on in there. I don't look at the sign. You gotta make a deal with your eye. Number four. We've got to realize that our struggle is not physical but spiritual. Ephesians six verse twelve. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. I was walking through the uh, Reagan Airport in Washington one day just on my way to the gate and carrying my suitcase. Back in those days, you could could carry your suitcase. Now they make you check them in. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm working along there and I pass a kiosk, you know, one of these book cutouts where they sell the books and magazines. And there's a guy standing with uh, with his back to me. And he's reading a pornographic magazine. He's holding it up like this. And it probably had the dirtiest picture that I've ever seen. And I looked at I just, you know, and I wasn't looking for anything. I'm just walking along. You're just walking along. And I just cast an eye there. And when I saw it, man, I pulled my head back fast. You know, it's interesting what the devil does. You know, you, know, you probably can't remember, fellas the name of your first grade teacher, but if I were to ask you, you probably remember the first dirty joke you ever heard. You know, it's interesting how the devil is continually, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, is continually trying to destroy us. And and, and it's crazy how, how these dirty pictures get embedded in our heads, or dirty thoughts, and you know they'll come out anytime, they can come out right in the middle of the church service. And that infuriates me. We have an enemy that's out to destroy us. You know, we talk about doing the health message. You know, some of us are more into the health message than we are into the moral message. Uh, But Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill the body. After that, he can't do any more to you. Fear him who's after your head. And, 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 And you run the risk, you know, not of getting a disease, but of going to hell. Am I still among friends? Number five, we've got to remove from our lives the things that contribute to our defeat. Romans 13, verse 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, it's we must take out of our environment everything that would contribute to moral impurity. And you know that even the, the magazines, it's incredible, the magazine, everything is suggested these days, everything. By the way, our culture is designed to destroy our soul. And, and, and the first thing that our culture is designed to do, and you guys are mostly, mostly single people, but the, the, the culture is designed to turn you into a sex fiend and to ruin your marriage when it happens. And if we just stay on this road, you can come to as many of these retreats as you want and get messed up anyway. Because it's not what we do here, it's what we do at home. You can get here and just get carried away and go into a, or a spiritual trance. And if you go home to reality, it's what we do when we go back down the hill that makes the difference. And we've got to get out of our lives. The thing that the things that contribute to our defeat and I don't need I hope I don't need to tell this crowd that there's nothing that's, that's that's destroying us more than television television is watched by the average christian is the opposite of everything you're asking Jesus to do in your life just the opposite you know you you you've heard of these science fiction things where this alien comes and implants something in your head Television is the implant. Television is telling us what to eat, how to dress. The whole works. It's destroying. And, and we've got to do something. You can say, well, you know, and I tell this when I'm talking to a congregation in a marriage context. Well, Pastor feel you're right. Man. But the other day I was talking to my wife about that. And, and she said, Pastor feel she said she gets a uh, spiritual blessing from watching the soap opera. Uh, I, I, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I, and so I say, well, listen, just make a deal with her. You know, just negotiate. Come on, you know, marriage is a two-way street. And you say, honey, you say, I understand that uh, you get a spiritual blessing from watching La Telenovela. How did I do? That the, uh, the soap opera. And so why don't we do this? We'll have television for five years, and then we'll be without one for five. And she'll say, oh, negro, that's what they call it, it means like sweetheart. Oh, sweetheart, you're so nice. When she says that, then say, we've already had your five years. <laughs> now, listen, we got to do something about it. Do something about it. Now, watch even this. You'd say, well, I only watch the news. The news is sometimes pornographic creates all kinds of images in your mind and another thing about the news you know when the bible says i referenced it yesterday sufficient for the day is the evil thereof if you watch the news all day and in fact let me talk to you girls and you girls live in california you hear that somebody's raped in connecticut you just get scared out of your wits you go put another lock on your door you see we we're not made to bear the burdens of this planet this is why, now I know we need to know the news, but we can know so much news that we're stressed out, hysterical, and all the rest. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. We, we need, as much as anything, we need peace these days. But do something about television. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're saying, well, I only watch 3ABN all the time Hope Channel. And I've got lots of programs, dozens of programs on the uh, Hope Channel and on 3 b but I don't even watch it. You know, that's for the people in the halfway house. You know what I mean? I'll be <laughs> you know, we do better. We don't need the television on. You know, it's crazy. You go into a home these days, they can't stand the silence of their own head. Jesus is in the still small voice. There's not much room for Jesus' voice of just music going, whatever it is all the time. Just, just make your house quiet and see what you get. You, then you have to, you have to hear your own thought. Now think about it. When you get white hair, you get smart. I, I buddy. You might think when you go home, you'll know, dyeing your hair white, you get smart. <laughs> save yourself, save yourself some trouble, man. Don't just go through all the years, man. That's why you want to listen to people like us. We weren't born yesterday. Don't make the mistakes. It, well, i got to make my own mistakes. You're crazy. Don't do it. The mistakes that are being made these days are fatal to spiritual development. You know, I was saying that at breakfast this morning, that there was a time in which you didn't have to have a commitment of Jesus to survive because the family would hold you up, you know, the influence, the culture, the church. It just was kind of like walls around you. Not anymore. Those are all down. We're taking the hits correctly. I believe that it's necessary to have a commitment. Did you notice I didn't say relationship? That word's no good. That's no good. It's necessary to have a commitment to Jesus to stay married. And I already told you again, and you may think I'm wasting my time talking to this crowd, girls never, never move in with a fella or let a fella fool with you until he makes a commitment. Just don't you know that but, but you heard you say well don't talk to us this way we're spiritual you heard the emails, didn't you so was he you all right you know when you go to a doctor some of you are doctors there's two things that we patients want when we get from go to a doctor one is we want a correct diagnosis and the other we want a correct prescription and in the culture, they say, if you don't get that, that's malpractice. As a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want God to get me from malpractice. You do what you want when you go. You do what you want. But know this, and this is the thing, and I just want to talk to you, and I know I'm going to make you mad. Let's get the spiritual life out of the theory and let's get it into the practice. And have I been talking to you about real things? And so, remember, life is not a theory. You know, somebody was was talking to me about the last day. No, we're in the last day. Well, about the times of persecution, they're already here. They started in the house. Uh, you know, I don't fear what the Pope can do to me. Uh, but it's, what, it's, going, it's what's going on in your home that can cause you to be lost. And so we've got to go home, ladies and gentlemen we got to not look at your pastor anymore. That's his problem. Or, or the church, or whatever. Well, the church, man. The church is messed up. No, we're messed up. What did Joshua say? I know not what course others may take. But as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got to realize that the battle is not just one time. It's... Uh, it's continual. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 14 or, or 12 verse 5 says, If thou hast run with a footman and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? Listen, this this thing of, you know, in other words, you can't say, you know, I used to have impure thoughts. I haven't had an impure thought. Impure. It's every day. I used to look for perfect people, Norman. Not anymore. I look for survivors anybody is talking about it. you know one guy said I haven't sinned in three months he must not know what it is anyway uh, I was in a motel one time I, I'm not going to tell you which one it was because I don't want to give a bad uh, reputation there to the uh, holiday inn there in Golden Glades in Miami <laughs> <coughs> but uh, I had uh, had my shower and getting ready for bed and uh had my devotion you know read the bible a little bit and, and knelt down and I hope you do that at night and, you know and if you're married you know you pray with each other you learned that didn't you anyway uh, I had just turned off the light just turned off the light the phone rang. I said hello and it was a woman's voice she must have been the house prostitute boy she didn't wait three words to start talking dirty. When when she did that and I heard that third word or whatever it was I hung up on her. now I suppose you might say Pastor O'Veal you lost the opportunity to witness (laughs) You you should have said sister you shouldn't do this come down to my room and let's have a bible study Listen to me, fellas. The Bible says you flee fornication. You don't negotiate with it. You don't when that starts up between you and your girlfriend, that's no time to sit around and read the Bible. That's time to hit the road. Flee fornication. Now you may think I'm a whim, but after I hung up on her, I turned on the light again. that woman had spit in my brain. Just like you're standing by the road and the truck goes by and splashes you and gets you all dirty, you have to think of that. And so when you get exposed to that stuff, you got to wash it out, man. I used to work on a plastered crew. Those fellas couldn't put two clean words together, and I can remember coming home from work one day. I was 21 years old, and I just had to sit down read the Bible. wherewithal shall a young man or woman cleanse his way anyway so the battle is always here's another one it's to overcome temptation it's by the fear of the lord proverbs 16 verse 6 says and by mercy and truth iniquity is purged and by the fear of the lord men depart from evil you know when i travel a lot i I stay in motels i don't like to stay in I like to stay with the, with the believers in the people's house. And I used to live in South America. The Agency for International Development sponsored a uh, a training session in San Pedro Sula in Honduras. And so I, representing the Seventh-day Adventist World Service, with with other representatives from other agencies, you know what I mean, other agencies, we all got on the same airplane and we went up to San Pedro Sula. when we got up there, and the thing was going to last three or four days, I noticed that the guys that I had traveled with on the airplane, once they got up there, when I saw them, they were hanging around with women. They were prostitutes, obviously. But it occurred to me, Jim, that what had happened, these men were out of their element. I don't think they would have done that in Santiago. They were accountable in Santiago, but not in San Pedro, this is why it's important, it's dangerous, to get out where you're not known. Because you can do stuff that you would never do uh, if, it, if, it, if it was otherwise. And you know, in fact, I can think even uh, of, a, of a man, he was, when I was a young man, he, he had an important position at conference. He might have been the youth director, this is he's uh, no longer a living. But sadly, the story was that one uh, weekend, he was traveling. And he was in a restaurant this was friday night and in this restaurant there was dancing and apparently some girl came up to him and invited him to dance now i don't think the guy was into that kind of stuff he probably didn't even think about it but but you know it, it, it happened so fast that uh, he found himself up on the floor dancing around with her and not, that, that was all there was to it that, that was that was all there was to it but what he didn't know was that there was a former Seventh day Adventist there that night. And they called the conference on Monday. And he lost his job. Had to be transferred to someplace else. If he'd have been staying with the with the believers that night, he wouldn't have fallen into that. See? This is what the church is for, theoretically. It's about accountability. And you see, you see, before we're baptized, we have made our commitment to Jesus. But baptism—I don't think the water of baptism washes away sin to you. Uh, the blood of Jesus does that. But when I it's like getting married. You know, really, a couple is married before they're married, aren't they? Really, it's when they stand there, they make a public commitment to God and to the people that are there and to their families that I'm going to be faithful. And so, when we're baptized, what we're saying, we're telling the church that I'm that I've given my heart to Jesus and I'm accountable to you for the commitment that I've made. This is why it's important that in the church we have accountability. That's one of the greatest blessings of the church itself. Now, the last point is, um, I, 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 but you know, well, here, I, I'm gonna use this, the Spanish Bible. You, you can turn to, uh, to Romans 6, verse 1. Romanos says partir versículo 1. And, and, and in fact, th- this is the one that will help you overcome temptation. Boy, I'll tell you, when you get tempted to have impure thoughts, this is the one that does it. Uh, it's 6, verse 1. pues, ¿qué diremos? en el pecado para que la gracia abunde. Here's the way we say it. What should we say then? Shall we continue with impure thoughts that grace may abound? What's the rest say? No way. How can we who are dead to... Impure thoughts. Come on. Hey, don't just say sin. Because this guy thought he wasn't committing any. Hey, let's call it for what it is. Let's call a rat a rat. And so if you want to overcome impure thoughts, then let's call them for what they are. Don't say, well, it's, I love her so much. You know you know what love is? Love isn't sex. Did you know that by Have you learned that? When we say make love, that's not love. You can do that with a prostitute. Do you understand what I'm saying? Love is 1 Corinthians 13. When you tell your sweetheart that that, that you love him or he loves you, that's what he's talking about. Come on, let's get the meaning of love back. Love isn't sex. You don't make love in the bed. Now now you might might have a special relationship. This is a symbol, but it isn't love. Because you can do that with a prostitute. Homosexuals do that in their awful way. So anyway, what's the secret to overcoming uh, impure thoughts? Play dead Yeah because you know <laughs> you know if, if, if you were to, if we God forbid if we were to have a casket here on the platform and there's somebody God forbid laying in there you know and you were to march up you know who in front of it, naked woman or something, what would he do? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't because he's dead. What's the secret to overcoming impure thoughts or any temptation? Play dead. In other words, you say a little prayer. How can I, who am dead to impure thoughts or to anger or to selfishness or whatever, whatever it might be? And when we say that prayer, it's over. Because dead people don't, they just don't respond. Now you might say, Pastor O'Phil, I've tried that before. That doesn't work. I'm, well, if, if that doesn't work, and it works for most of us. But you might be really—you might be really of a serious case. So I'm going to give you—I'm going to give you a, a secret that'll—that'll that'll break any temptation that, that 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 you could possibly, you know, this this after you. Can you think of anybody in your life this morning that needs Jesus? Come on, put a name with it. Don't tell me what the name. Just put a name. I'm—I'm going to publicly announce the name. Anne, my sister. So You got your name? Now, by the way, the devil just loves to harass us and to tempt us, doesn't he? He's thinking, man, I get such a kick out of that. Just, just drive them nuts. That's what I'm going to do. Here's what you do. You say, the next time that I'm tempted to have impure thoughts, you know, when those come in, it's going to remind me to pray for him. Now, the devil doesn't want you to pray for He doesn't want that. In fact, he'd rather not bother you than have you praying for him. You know what I mean? <laughs> you see, that first one playing dead, that's the shield. But this other one's aggressive. That, that's telling the devil, next time you come at me, I'm coming at you. And that'll take care of that. Ladies and gentlemen, this it's predicted, it was said of this generation, That this generation would be a generation whose eyes are full of adultery now i don't think adultery is a new phenomenon by the way you know we say that the natural process of sexual relationship was from creation but lust wasn't now if you pray well i'm praying that god will take away the desire well then you that's the end of your race in other words, it's like a, a glutton saying, well, I hope the Lord will take away my appetite. No, he won't. If you're a glutton, you don't pray, take away my appetite. You pray for self-control. So so if, if you've got a problem with this impure thoughts, you don't pray that he'll take away your sexual part of you. You pray that he'll create in your clean heart renew a right spirit within you. This generation is obsessed with sex, fortunately it's we've all we're all infected and and we bring it in in any numbers of ways in disguise but those who are lost will be those who refuse to receive the victory that jesus promises for any sin you know this is one of the things that really concerns me so badly about the homosexuality Is is not that it's the worst sin that you could imagine, I suppose, hacking up little children like we heard that that guy killed that, remember that little actress or whatever she was. But anyway, the thing about homosexuality, it refuses to call itself sin. And so the unforgivable sin is the sin that refuses to submit itself to the forgiveness of Jesus. And many of us can be in that. You know, Christian, you remember Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's on his way to the celestial city, and he says, uh, he meets some other pilgrim, and they start talking about sin, and the other pilgrim says, I've gotten rid of all the big sins in my life. I only got the little ones. And uh, Christian says, huh, it's the other way around. What you call the big ones were the little ones. What you call the little ones are the big ones. And that's the way it is, let's be honest you. What we say is this big is really the sin that's gonna destroy us. Those who are lost outside the city, they are they're enumerated, they're adulterers. Will those who are saved be adulterers too? Yes. But they wanted out, and they let Jesus give them the victory. Those who are in the city and those who are out are the same kind of people, with the difference that those who were in the city. Accepted the victory and the salvation that Jesus gave them. The ones that were outside the city, they liked it. Jesus is doing everything he can to save us all. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you know the secret of how to overcome temptation, don't you? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father... We're thankful that there's no temptation taken us but that's taken everybody out. But that you will, in spite of this temptation, make a way of escape. Lord, that we can be victorious in an ongoing way. We pray for every young woman here, Lord, that you will help them to resist, help them to be women, beautiful women, not in body but in spirit they can be appreciated for the people, sisters, daughters, wives, they are, and girlfriends. And Lord, we men, we're just dirty old men. We hate you. Oh, Father, do something in our head. Help us to, to, to determine in our hearts as men that we will not defile us. Make deals with our eyes thankful now that we've been able to be here this weekend. We're going back down in the valley into real life where everything good can happen and everything bad does happen. Help every young person here, Lord, to go back encouraged, invigorated, strong, Lord. And may we increase in wisdom in physical health and in favor with you. Jesus Christ, our oh. Lord.